gentlemen welcome to no budget nightmares this is mo he's a bad film hating while i skating all the while masturbating that's, that's mo porn yeah. yeah and with me as always is the one and only doug tilly he's bow, doug bow, tilly bow, 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 number bow, one super bow, guy bow, bow. mo i'm gonna stop saying it's been a while since we've been recording <laughs> <laughs> i feel like at this point that's just the default hey it's been a little while since the last episode of No Budget Nightmares, but I just want to say to the people out there, quality takes time. And you yeah. can't just, <laughs> the kind of movies we watch here, you can't just throw yourself into them. You got to ease yourself into them. Yeah. <laughs> what was the last movie we watched on this show, Mo? I don't know. I know, right? Isn't it amazing that they just exit our mind? Even the ones that we enjoy. It's, as soon as we finish our episode, all that concerted effort and focus, and then it's just boom. It's like there's a hole in our consciousness where that movie used to exist. The best part is is that we have some fans who will tell me that they've, like, some things that I've said in episodes, and I'll be like, I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't remember a damn thing I said on any episode of any show ever. Admittedly, they could be talking about five episodes ago, and that was still, like, two years, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but even at but but even at that, they could be talking about the last episode, and I'll be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, frankly, this isn't really Mo who's recording on his end. It's actually a Mo replacement that I, <laughs> I, I replaced Mo about three and a half years ago. No one noticed. Uh, it's actually just a soundboard that goes, uh-huh, every once in a while. <laughs> yup. Yep. <laughs> that's, not, that's not true, of course, Mo. You're a necessary part of this podcast. Otherwise, we would have replaced you a long time ago. Um, <laughs> no, but Mo, the reason it's been a bit of a gap is because you were in the process of moving and getting your internet set up. Um, and we did uh, uh, bridge that gap by having a live stream recently uh, where we watched we actually ended up watching two movies with some of the uh, the wonderful fans of No Budget Nightmares and thank you so much for those who turned out to that of course if you want to be part of one of those streams in the future you should make sure that you sign up uh, to our Facebook group just look up No Budget Nightmares on Facebook uh, and that's been a lot of fun Mo but I'll tell you nothing beats a real No Budget Nightmares episode oh yeah nothing beats it Mo nothing nothing Mo, speaking of a real No Budget Nightmares episode, that's what we're about to do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What's the movie we're going to be talking about today? We are talking about 2000s, the the year 2000. Mm -hmm. The year of our Lord, the year the punk broke. Yes. Jim Haggerty's The Slasher. And now Jim Haggerty, the director, is joining the illustrious company of very few other directors in that this is the second film in his oeuvre that we've covered here on No Budget Nightmares. Uh, Long-time listeners might remember we once covered a film called 
I Dream of Dracula. And now, longtime listeners might remember it. Mo, however, doesn't seem to have any memory at all about that film. I don't, I don't remember a damn thing about it. Well, I, there are a few cast members in this, uh, which actually was filmed before I Dream of Drac- Dracula, uh, that, that are also in that movie. But to be honest, Mo, I can't blame you. That was many a year ago. So what's great is that since I'm not uh, uh, tainted by whatever feelings I had of I Dream of Dracula, I came into the slasher with uh, with a clean slate. Jim Haggerty, wow me is what I said as the opening credits rolled. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you mean you mean five minutes into the film when the opening credits roll? Hey, you yeah, know okay. what? I appreciate that. How easy mm. it would be to just roll the credits first and then show the movie. I like a sure. little bit more, you know, uniqueness in the structure of my filmmaking. And Jim Haggerty, hey, he's not just the director of this movie. He's not even just the writer, Mo. He's also one of the lead performers. Oh, yeah, he is. <laughs> Mo, the slasher from the year 2000 is one hour and 33 minutes long. R- really? Yeah, one hour, 33 minutes. Then why did it feel 16 hours long? Now, Mo, come on. Admittedly, part of that, Mo, might be because r- the recent uh, films that we feature on the show, to my memory, have uh, been a little less lengthy. So they probably were a little easier. They went down a little easier, as they say. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it can be hard to stretch it to that feature length 90 minutes or 75 minutes even, or sometimes it, even to 60 minutes. It, well, I mean, it also helped that when we did our uh, live stream that we did we did Wrath of the Skunk Ape, which is only like 46 minutes long. So. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I'm really putting out there, and again, all rules are made to be broken, especially when it comes to micro-budget filmmaking. But I'm putting out there to uh, low-budget, micro-budget uh, filmmakers, if you can make a great movie at 45 minutes, do that instead of making a shitty stretched-out movie at 90 minutes. Yeah, I mean, one could argue that Wrath of the Skunk Ape isn't exactly a great movie. But, Who would argue that? Bring them but, to me, Mo. <laughs> but, it, but it is a short movie, and it's fun, so. Well, speaking of a short movie that's fun, let's talk about a long movie that's not, The Slasher, <laughs> from the year 2000, directed by Jim Haggerty. And the movie starts, Mo, by saying a Jim Haggerty film. He puts his, uh, his uh, uh, a name right front and center. It's like a Spike Lee joint. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't? And the movie starts proper, Mo. With the thing I enjoy most in this world, a road. It could mean so many things. A road to nowhere, perhaps, at least for the person walking along it. And in this case, it's a woman, Mo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's she doing? She's just walking along the road for some reason? This is a scene you're going to... We'll see several times throughout the course of the movie uh, in various iterations. Uh, yeah, it's a woman walking. Uh, eventually, you see a man start to follow her. And they pull the classic... Uh, slasher trope of she turns around and he's not there. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> she can uh, see quite a ways, by the way, like probably a mile in one direction or the yeah, other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's no convenient hedgerows for him to hide behind. It's it's an open area. Like he had he would have had to have run a good like 10, 15 feet to get behind a tree, but whatever. Um uh, so she uh she continues along this road and instinctually mm-hmm. just instinctually starts to run. And she hops a uh, a barrier and starts running into the woods. Because, oh, you, you mean know, she heads into the international waters of micro She heads into filmmaking. Yeah, exactly <laughs> the exactly. woods. <laughs> she she heads into the woods and you know does what every rational human being would do in the woods, and she hides behind a tree. Hey, there's lots of trees. She could be lots behind of trees any in of the wood. She could mm-hmm. be behind anyone, but it doesn't matter because he immediately finds her because he is the slasher. Now, what does he have? What is, what kind of weapon is he carrying there, Mo? 
Uh, see, I was hoping that this would become like iconic, and this would be the big, like his big weapon for the sure. film. It's not. It's not. Uh, he uses it once. Uh, he has a big old axe. It's a big old axe, Mo. And also, we do get a look at the killer in this movie. What does he look like, Mo? Um. Well, let's see. He's got. Uh, he's fairly tall. I'll give him that much. He's fairly tall. He's got a uh, a, a, a head of curly black hair. He's wearing black head, uh, you know, from from the neck down, including uh, gloves. And he is wearing a one of those like Halloween masks that are made out of like clear plastic, but there's like a face painted on it. So I'm gonna paint. A, I'm gonna paint a picture for longtime fans of nobody. Yes, please. Picture the lead actor of Las Vegas Bloodbath wearing the mask from Sledgehammer, and there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's actually uh, that's actually pretty pretty good there. <laughs> Except he has no Sledgehammer, Mo. He has, as you mentioned, an axe. He knocks his woman down. He slams the axe down, Mo. It must be a bloody sight, but no, we don't really get to see anything. No. And that's another odd thing about this movie. It's, it is a slasher movie because it is called The Slasher, but it also follows the tropes that you might expect. But uh, it um, it doesn't have a lot of on-screen violence. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's there's definitely blood. Yeah. You know, but the, yeah, you're right. The actual uh, physical violence on screen is minimal. And that leads right into the opening credits. Mo, very exciting opening credits. Classic White on black. (laughs) There's nothing to it. It's just white text on a black background. Um, It does uh, tell us that uh, the movie features Spike as Myra. Uh, I don't know why uh, Spike gets a large credit, though uh, I don't know if you remember who that character is. Nope. Uh, Well, (laughs) I'll point her out to you as the movie progresses. The uh, opening credits is followed, Mo, by an introduction to our lead characters. Uh, We see three people walking in the woods. Um, A female police officer uh, says, right down here, sirs. And we're introduced to our two cop characters. Who are these people, Mo? Well, these are Detectives Brown and Detectives Stone. Stone and Brown. uh, They're cops. So uh, they are looking over the body. Uh, They have identified the fact that apparently the killer has an axe now. And uh, as they're looking at the body, guess someone didn't take care of the perimeter, Mo, because uh, the brother of the victim shows up. Uh, let's have a little listen to how some of the acting in this movie is, and then we'll talk about some of the technical aspects of it afterwards. Hmm. Looks like he's got himself an axe now. Looks like it. We won't know for sure until we get a full autopsy, though. Oh, my God. <clears throat> it's her. They killed my sister. Hey, Ed, uh, look, I'm sorry you had to see that. Um, McCray, take him back to the car. Uh, we'll have you identify later. It's no problem. No problem. No problem. You just walked onto the crime scene where your sister's corpse is laying there. Now, there's a couple of things to note about this, Mo. A, of course, yeah. the acting is not of very high quality. No, there's no, there's no real standouts as far as that's concerned. There are, there are a few people who are less bad than others, but I think there's a consistency of bad throughout. And unfortunately, even the actors who might be a little more capable, they're still like flubbing shit left and yeah, right. Yeah, left and right. 
Um, exactly. And the other thing, and that is particularly notable, is because this is the really the opening scene of the movie, is that all of the dialogue here has been dubbed. Now, the whole movie is not like that, though there's lots of dubbed dialogue or ADR yeah. in this movie. But this is a particularly egregious scene, and because it's all ADR, and you probably just heard it, it means that everyone has this kind of monotone to what they're saying. Right. And, well, there's also this really funny thing that happens throughout the entire movie. I, I feel... Okay, so... We haven't really gotten to it yet, but I'm mm-hmm. just going to kind of like, you know, jump the gun and let the audience know there is a ridiculous amount of gratuitous nudity in this film. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that a good chunk of the budget was put forth to pay those women to get naked. And none of those women came back to record their ADR. None of them. Yeah. In, I mean, and, and that includes the the female cop who is who is in this scene who when she's in an interior shot, sounds 100% different than she does in this particular exterior shot. The best part about it is that every female character, when, when their ADR is done by the same, I'm presuming, I don't want to assume <laughs> genders or anything like that, but, but I am assuming that they were all f- recorded by the same high-pitched voiced male, or at least somebody putting on a voice because they all have the same voice, and it's, I'm fairly certain it's a high-pitched voice dude. So for those who are wondering, well, why would they have uh, post-dubbed a lot of this audio? You kind of get a sense of it. Sometimes at the very beginning of a scene that has the rest of the dialogue dubbed, mm. you'll hear the use of, of the on-set mic. And there's some, like, crackling and some difficulty. I mean, in this particular case, since it's all outside, that probably played a role as well. But there's something up with the audio for most of this movie. And um, if you listen to a lot of these sound clips, you'll notice a real difference in quality from scene to scene. There is also, like you mentioned, you're right, there's there's a lot of hearing of audio on this, but there's also a ridiculous amount of seeing the microphone in this. Like, I wish I had been paying attention because by the time I I really noticed how bad it was, I hadn't really counted how many times it had popped up. But I guarantee you there's at least 15 to 16 shots in this movie that there's a visible microphone either in the upper portion of it or coming in from below, like they did not block these shots at all. <laughs> you, you gotta, you gotta kind of feel bad for the, ma- the the creators of it because obviously sound is something that they were concerned with, which is why they were putting the microphone so close to the actors, and right. it still ended up being all fucked up. Yeah. Low budget movie making, and remember, this mm. is the year two thousand, so this is uh, it is in that kind of dead zone between the incredibly hard micro budget shot on video filmmaking of the nineties, and when it gets a little easier with digital filmmaking in the early two thousands, this is still was probably you know I, again I give credit for the fact that these are people obviously making a full length slasher movie slasher right. slash mystery movie uh, on a on a very low budget. Um, mm-hmm. So we have our two leads. We have Detective Brown, Detective Stone. Detective Stone is played by the director, Jim Haggerty. And uh, he sounds uh, a little... They're supposed to be like hardened, experienced cops. They both look like they're maybe in their late 20s, maybe early Which is 20s. really funny because when they talk, they just sound like petulant children. Yeah, they do kind of. And to get a sense of that, here's Detective Stone. Uh, he's, he's exhausted and tired of the fact that they've been searching this slasher, searching for this slasher for so long. And this is what he says. Doesn't get any easier, does it, man? 
I tell you, I'm sick of bringing nice people to their dead wives and children and girlfriends and sisters and brothers. I know. <laughs> I want this bastard dead. Detective Brown, <laughs> Detective Stone. That was the voice, by the way, of the female police officer. No, actually, sorry. That no, was the, that was Perry. That was Perry, the, the reporter. We'll get to her in just a second. But you did get a sense there of not only how monotone the ADR is, but also how kind of weirdly dramatic some of the dialogue is to the point where it becomes right. a little comical. Uh, Detective Brown, by the way, is played by Jay Mosk, a regular feature in the works of Jim Haggerty. How would you describe his performance in this movie, Mo? He's not bad. I, he, he might be the best performance in the movie as far as I'm concerned. I don't, I, you know, I'll tell you who, my, who I think is the best performer when we get to them. Uh, it's only in one scene in the entire movie. Um, mm. So, yeah, so they get... Are you talking uh, about the dog? Yes, the dog. <laughs> we'll get to that as well. <laughs> um, so a reporter uh, shows up. This is, uh, uh, what's her name? Perry? Perry Purcell. Pa- Perry Pur- Purcell. Like She's a reporter who is only interested, Mo, in uh, the most kind of tabloidish news uh, stories. And she and really thank gets... goodness, thank <laughs> goodness she does her own ADR. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, so she's... Uh, she basically is annoying the two of them because she keeps showing up their crime scenes. Um, she, they say to her, you get that camera out of here or I'll jam it up your ass. They have a very contentious relationship, I would say. Right. And she, she mocks them for being terrible cops, like basically through the whole fucking movie. Now, there's a suggestion that the year before they uh, caught some sort of um, serial, serial rapist. Serial rapist, yeah. And so like, that I wonder was, if like, it was I wonder if it was Jesus Christ. Yeah, maybe it was. <laughs> <laughs> That was supposed to be a big victory for them, and they're in. You know, now they're running into a real issue because they can't catch this slasher. It is said at the end of this movie, Mo, that this killer has killed over ninety people, mm. <laughs> and the only two cops we ever see outside of the chief are our uh, detective Larry Brown and detective Keith Stone, and they're and, supposed to by the and, way and McCray and McCray and McCray, and they're supposed to be in New York City because they uh, talk yep. about going to all the different boroughs. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 maybe the thing I had the hardest time believing in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say there's not woods in New York City, but there's not woods in New York City. Just saying. New York City. That's what I want to say, Mo. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, back to the movie. <laughs> they uh, escort uh, Perry from the uh, crime scene, and then we get introduced to another young woman, Mo. She's walking along a busy street in the dark. She's walking kind of stiffly because people don't know how to walk when you put a camera on them. It's just one of those things. Uh, This particular sequence is really dark and hard to watch. Um, Yeah, and and, and he doesn't mean, like, contextually. Like, it's physically dark and hard to watch. Yeah, it's not lit. They're just using the natural lighting on the street. Um, And we see uh, someone uh, walking behind this woman, lumbering along. Not exactly Michael Myers. Uh, We see him stop and put on his mask. She, yeah, he's more he's more Jason in part two. Yeah, I would say that that's pretty accurate. Um, yeah. Though, as they point out in the movie, he, he doesn't hide himself as much as the movie goes along. There's a bit coming up soon where he's just walking around the streets in a very busy suburban neighborhood, and he's yeah. just there with a knife and a fucking mask. <laughs> uh, so anyway, this uh, this woman who's walking, she starts to get suspicious. Uh, she, what does she look like, Mo? She's kind of a rocker chick. Yeah, she's sort of a rocker, leather jacket, you know, slashed up jeans early 2000s um, mo what do you think kind of music she was listening to in the early 2000s yeah the year know. 2000 
in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. In the year 2000. If I had to guess, I would assume she was uh, transitioning from grunge rock to new metal. Could be. Could, yeah. Well, maybe the transition would have already been made. I mean, Woodstock 99 was the year before, Mo. Mm. It's all about the he said, she said bullshit. Break shit. Mm-hmm. So anyway, <laughs> she, she gets very worried about this person walking behind her, and she starts to run. The killer, I'll just call him the slasher, he starts to run too. Uh, and he gets very, very close because she has some trouble um, uh, opening up her front door with her keys. She goes inside, Mo. She slams the door behind her. Now, Mo, I'm just going to put you in the headspace <laughs> of this woman. <laughs> this guy's outside. I mean, he basically yeah. almost reached her before she got in. What's the first thing you do once you go inside? Oh, this is such an easy question because there's only one thing that any rational-minded human being would do mm-hmm. after being chased by a masked man with a knife. Uh-huh. Or or did he have an axe still? I don't know. Whatever. A masked, a masked man w- with a weapon. Um, I would run a bath. Yeah. She, she goes into the bathroom and she turns on the bath. Doesn't call anybody. No. Doesn't even look upset by the fact that someone was trying to at least, at the very least apprehend her or grab her look you got to give her some credit she had a full decade of angst behind her (laughs) you know so i mean who knows what she's been through over these last few years but she did seem like completely unfazed by this incident that occurred and i will say good because her next step is to strip completely naked yeah you know what it's it's a pretty scary world out there today, but you got to let this stuff. You can't let it. You can't let it bother you when all these horrible I, things are happening in the news and whatnot, <laughs> or maybe you're experiencing it on the street. You got to let it roll off. Hey, go inside. You need to zen out. You need to center yourself. Why not get yourself a nice hot bath? And the only way to do that, in my experience, is to first strip. Actually, first you go to your bedroom, strip naked, and then put on a robe just to go across the hall to. to in the house you live in, yes. In the house you live in by yourself. You just go walk a couple of feet <laughs> in your robe. <laughs> but what's uh, notable about this naked woman? Um, well, mm-hmm. there's I can I can think of three things. That all right, are tell me. I uh, want to hear all three. So number one and two, she has very pierced nipples. Very, okay, well, those are just uh, one, but I, I, I'm calling I'll those allow one it, and two. but watch yourself, counselor. I'm, I'm, I'm calling it one and two, <laughs> if it pleases the court. Mm. Uh, and then the third is uh, she is very shaven. Yeah, okay. All right. I didn't know that you were going to go there, but yeah. Oh, that's what I was going, because they put that shit front and center. Well, it, they put it more front and center a little later. <laughs> we'll get into that, too. Boy. Um, so, yeah, so she's, you know what, in the... I'm not. There's, there's no judgment here on No Budget Nightmares. Nor why would there be? But yeah. uh, she. But the, those pear snipples, very uh, uh, on brand for the year 2000. Uh, and she was a rocker chick, as we said, Mo. Yep. So she is about to get in the bath, Mo, and then she yep. hears a knock on the door, and she reacts as anyone would after almost being accosted at her front door and then running a bath. She says. Yeah, I'll be right there. <laughs> ah, fuck. Rent, of course. I mean, it yeah. is obviously nighttime. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I mean, look, 
I mean, I know for a fact that when my landlord comes to collect the rent, uh, they don't usually show up until at least 1130 at night. Fair enough. So, yeah. Things no. happen. Um, <laughs> hey, they want to make sure that she's home. And she was home just. Mm-hmm. Um, so she goes to answer the door, Mo, But thankfully for her, it isn't her landlord looking for rent. Who is it? Oh, it's the slasher. The slasher. Oh, right. The guy who was just outside her door trying to murder her. And now <laughs> did the brilliant move of just knocking on the door. And then she <laughs> fucking answered it. He's a fucking land shark, you know? Candy, <laughs> candy gram. Candy gram. Um, yeah, so uh, she made the bad move, I would say. Again, look, no judgments here. Um, she should expect to be safe in her own home. It's certainly not her fault, but she did make the move of opening the door, which did allow the slasher to come in. And what does he do then? Uh, he admonishes her. He goes, you should not answer the door. <laughs> <laughs> now, what does he do, Mel? He um, he removes her robe forcibly yes. and then proceeds to uh, begin stabbing her. To this movie's credit, the violence takes, even though there's a lot of, of nudity in the movie, it, there's not a lot of sexualized violence in the movie. Which so, is funny because I in my notes right here, it says she dies sounding more like she's having an orgasm than being killed. I, I have in my notes here, and I know it's cliche, by the way, listeners, to read directly from your notes on a podcast. I know it. I know people complain about it. Yeah, but when and we do it all the time. We do it. But I, but look, it, you can start your own podcast where you don't do that. I, I did write her eventual death is sort of orgasm. Like, so, Mo, I guess yeah. we're on the same page. We're listening for that orgasm death cry. <laughs> it's the only way I can get off. There is a slow pan over her <laughs> naked, bloody corpse, Mo. Slasher fans, that's what they're David into. slow pan? <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> the killer just watches, Mo. Mo, you know Quentin Tarantino? Um, Yeah, he's got a thing with like feet, right? He loves feet. He yeah. likes uh, dialogue between his characters. It's sort of like they like to talk about like pop culture. Uh, mm-hmm. And they talk about it, and it kind of gives you some insight into them as characters. It's something that I think people know most from his work in the movie Pulp Fiction. They talk about uh, going to uh, uh, Europe or, or wherever and uh, having different names for McDonald's food items. Ah, yes. Well, in this case, we have our Larry Brown and uh, Detective Stone. Brown and Stone, they're driving in a car. They're having kind of a similar pop culture conversation, Mo. In this case, it's whether they prefer... Ginger or Marianne on the famous sitcom uh, Gilligan's Three's Island. Three's Company. Oh, bah, 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 bah. Oh, I was no, Mo, wrong, wrong it's show. Gilligan's Island. They're talking yes. about Ginger or Marianne. Now, I have uh, uh, two points to make here. One, Mo, I want to hear, which do you prefer? Oh, I'm definitely more of a Ginger guy. Mrs. Howell all the way. <laughs> 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 um, it's funny. You know, I would say I'm, I'm a Marianne person, Mo. I don't know what that says about us as personalities, but I will say that whatever is comical about that conversation about which you prefer on the sitcom, uh, I feel like it's undermined in this sequence because they are under the impression that Marianne is supposed to be underage on Gilligan's Island. Yeah, I don't know how old she's supposed to be, but I never got the impression that she was underage. Well, this is the conversation they have about it, which is not only, uh, as I said, is kind of unpleasant, but then it gets even more so. Let's listen. Mo, the suggestion from the police officer there 
yeah. is that if you're on a deserted island, it doesn't uh, that that the uh, the laws regarding uh, consent do not necessarily apply. What he's saying is, if there's coconuts on the chest, play ball. Boy, Mo. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I did like the reference to the Harlem Globetrotters. Uh, that might be the last thing I was amused by in this movie. Yeah, yeah. They, they well, they, and then so one thing that they said that kind of made me chuckle in a disgusted sort of way mm-hmm. was that um, they implied, well, what if it was I forget if it was Marianne or Ginger, like having an a sexual encounter with Mrs. Howell, mm-hmm. and and then he said that that was going too far. So I was like, okay, so. Having a sexual sexual relationship with an underage girl, that's fine as long as you're on an island. But heaven forbid an elderly lesbian wants to get a little action. That's too far. I think the suggestion was that they would have a, a relationship with Mr. Howell. But I guess Mrs. Howell would still work. It's still getting that moolah, as they say. But as uh, as the, I don't know. Either the main theme of Gilligan's Island says, it's like, what good is wealth, massive wealth, when you have nothing but each other to uh, right, I mean, really, I think Gilligan's Island is quite a screed against uh, a capitalistic thinking. I mean, it's a socialist paradise <laughs> here on Gilligan's Island. All you need is the brains of the professor. Uh, he can get you whatever you want. It's basically a paradise. Okay. What was Hogan's Heroes all about? <laughs> BDSM. <laughs> they get a uh, <laughs> they get a uh, radio call saying that the uh, a corpse of that woman that we just talked about was found. They head over. Uh, they're looking at the body, as cops often do. A neighbor apparently found it. There is a note, Mo. A note from the slasher left with the corpse. She was a hairdresser, by the way, this rocker chick. She was a hairdresser, Mo. Wait, it says that? Yeah, they said to the, they said it. Didn't say. It. Oh, I didn't even. I didn't even fucking notice. It's a really important detail. <laughs> yeah, it's very important. Clearly. Mo, do you remember what this uh, slasher killer wrote in this note? I, I remember he calls them idiots, but he uh-huh. mocks, but they mock him because he spelled idiot with a Y. That's true. And that he, he really hates women. Yes. He says, and I'm just going to read a bit of what his note says. Please. I, th- I thought I'd drop you a line since it's been three months and the blood is still flowing like water all over New York. I can see you're completely in the dark about the whole thing, especially those bonehead super cops you have on the case. <laughs> They're super cops, Mo. I'll tell you what. I'll give, I'll give you my motive. Doesn't usually help you uh, badge-carrying types. I hate women. All women. And it's therefore my goal to kill all of them one by one. You might call this an unrealistic goal, but at the speed you guys are moving at, it wouldn't surprise me if I had to start killing men before you caught me. Uh, so let's actually hear the... Ba-boom! End. The end of them reading that and what uh, Stone's response is. You may call this an unrealistic goal, but with the speed that you guys are moving at, it wouldn't surprise me if I had to start killing men before you caught me. You know we have to rip his lungs out, right? (laughs) Stone, you are the living end. How about instead of ripping his lungs out, you catch him or perhaps do police work? Right. This is kind of the one of the central difficulties I have with this movie, The Slasher Mo, which is that I think we are supposed to really like and sympathize with these two cops who we are told are working like incredibly hard to find this person. But we don't actually see them do much work outside of showing up at murders that have already taken place. Um, and, hitting, and hitting on victims. And hitting on victims. And uh, when, the one time they might have a suspect to talk to, they actually end up talking to the wrong suspect. They sort of look buffoonish. Um, and this that particularly hurts when it comes to the end of the movie. And boy, we'll have a little conversation about the end of the movie once it comes. It is, it's something else, Mo. Oh, it's something. 
it's something. Uh, Mo, uh, they also, on the note, the killer has left a, uh, a mention of Perry Purcell, the reporter. Uh, he says that he likes her, the slasher does, because he ruffles the super cop's feathers. So he says he copied her on the note. Now, to my m- mind, he left a physical note with the corpse. I don't know how you can see, see someone on something that exists physically. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess uh, I think the suggestion is he just also sent a copy to her. But how it's how it's said in the movie is kind of funny. No, no. He always carries a laptop and a scanner with him. So he wrote the <laughs> note out, gave it a scan, and then hopped down to the local Starbucks and, uh, and, and sent it out via his Hotmail account. You think that spell check would have caught that spelling of idiot then? Nah. So, uh, by the way, this entire sequence, uh, they are standing in front of a giant Toxic Avenger poster, Mo. I didn't even notice. Oh, really? It makes me think that maybe uh, the location that this was shot at might have been one of the, uh, maybe the filmmaker himself's apartment or something along those lines. But you never know. It's not like it's uh, completely unheard of to have a Toxic Avenger poster. Hmm. Perry Purcell, she's outside doing a report. She's on location in Queens, Mo. Um, And the cops, uh, they come out and they give her a bit of a hard time. Um, She says that there's nothing wrong with great journalism. And they they go, what, are you on crack? Did you read that letter he sent? And she says that she read it on the air. Uh, And they think that she's turning it to a circus. I can see how maybe uh, New York City, you know, basically the media capital of the entire United States of America, that they might be interested in the 90 people being murdered around New York City. Right? It's so weird. It's like this alternate universe uh, where there's like one local reporter who has the exclusive on a serial murderer. (laughs) So anyway, they basically say to her that they'll give her some details uh, if she'll back off a little bit, which I don't know if she agrees to or not. I don't even remember. Mo, they go to the police station and they meet a bald man. Yeah, who is never actually called chief, I believe, but nope. we're just supposed to assume is the chief. He is the chief of police, working directly with these two detectives. Um, he is bald. He does not have a uniform of any kind. In fact, we see no police uniforms, really, in this movie. Except he also for McCray. has, Except for McRae, again, the only professional in this whole deal. Um, this bald police chief, again, I'm not harping on the fact that he's bald. It's just a defining feature. He has suspiciously pierced ears like he has like like a bunch of piercings in both of his ears again that's fine it's just not something you usually see in the chief of police yeah hey maybe he's taking a more relaxed attitude toward the whole police work game and frankly i think that's pretty refreshing <clears throat> so uh he's probably a little upset about the fact that they haven't killed this guy after he's murdering half of new york and he says this my favorite comedy team can I get you a pillow and a blanket? Since you've been taking it so easy on the slasher thing. No, that's all right. But do you think you can, you know, maybe come over and massage my thighs? I'm really tired. You know, the slasher thing's becoming a real problem. <laughs> I feel like the chief should have ramped it up a bit. You know, no like, kidding. I know that it's a uh, it's a cliche to have the like the crazy angry police chief, but this is a situation that kind of warrants it. You know, like yeah. there's a killer on the loose, and like these guys aren't taking it as seriously as maybe they should be. You know, so to get that super angry fucking police chief probably would have worked out better. Now this I guy think was I do think on I, he's valium suppo- the whole time. Yeah, I think he is supposed to be that. It's just that 
you know, his performance just isn't there. But I have to say that the, the response to this police chief basically accusing you of being lazy and not doing your work to say that he should massage your thighs, I don't know, man. I don't think that's going to fly when you haven't been producing results, Mo. Results are the most important thing. I'm really tired. Yeah, I know. I fucking hate that, too. But what am, what am I going to do? I can't make fun of someone's voice here on No Budget. <laughs> I'm not allowed to do it, no matter how irritating it is to me personally. See, I'm from New England, where we don't have accents, so... <laughs> so, uh, as the uh, chief alluded to, uh, he's sick of the fact that the slasher's all over the newspapers, though why wouldn't it be? Um, <laughs> Brown mocks him a little saying that he'll protect him from the slasher but what he says is that he wants to be protected from the mayor since it's an election year mo his ass is grass if they don't take out the slasher mm. Stone says that they're doing best under the circumstances and the boss uh, the chief says that there's been a break vice brought in a creep who's been disorderly at a porn shop he's been talking about being a misogynist just like the slasher mo and uh but unfortunately they can't go in to uh the interrogation room until vice are basically done uh, booking him. Yeah. Uh, and they're upset about this. They say this. Beautiful. Are you fucking kidding me? We might have the most dangerous guy in the city right here in this building, and we can't talk to him because of some kind of fucking protocol? I didn't say that. All I said was that I can't tell you to go in and talk to him. Oh. In interrogation room two. Oh. Where he's waiting for his lawyer. See, do you see what the chief is doing? He's yeah. saying without saying that they should go in and beat the shit out of this potentially innocent person uh, because they are desperate to find a lead on this case because they're such bad police officers. Yeah. Mo, I have to say it's the year 2019, and uh, maybe it's only because of my entire life up to this point, but I don't have a lot of trust in cops. Uh, just generally. Sorry if that offends anyone that's listening, but uh, I think that there's a lot of evidence to suggest that maybe cops overstep their bounds a lot. And so it's difficult to feel a lot of sympathy about these particular cops who really want to overstep their bounds all the time, but unfortunately are held back by laws. Yeah. Well, it's like a meme once told me because I get all of my news from memes. Mm -hmm. uh, the it, it said, the only thin blue line I respect is the Mississippi River. Yeah, right? Finally, something to say in a little sense here in Trump's America. <laughs> so they uh, they head over to interrogation room two, wink, and there's a gentleman in there. He's waiting for his lawyer. He says, I has nothings to say to you guys. I don't know what the hell's going on with this guy. I guess they told him to talk like a 1930s gangster. Um, they yeah, basically I got nothing to talk about you guys. They, uh, they basically accuse him. I mean, they directly accuse him of being the slasher. Uh, he denies it. Um, and they browbeat him. They, they don't do the good cop, bad cop. They're both just screaming at him to confess to something. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, what, what ends up being the problem here, Mo? They're in the wrong fucking room. They're in interrogation room number three, Mo. They're supposed to go to number two. Yeah. Oh, this movie's number two, all right. Oh, bah, 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 bah. Oh! He was actually just shoplifting, uh, so he just keeps calling for his lawyer. By the way, I don't think that you need to necessarily call your lawyer if you're just brought in for shoplifting. But hey, if you want to throw out a bunch of fucking money, why not? I guess that's okay. Maybe he's a rich dude. Yeah, I was going to say, the amount of money, uh, the amount of product you'd have to steal in order to need a lawyer for a, a shoplifting charge, I, I mean, you're talking like a truckload. Yeah, Mo, a truckload is correct. A hey, truckload. I have experience in this, you know. 
You know women, Mo. I know know a couple. You know in this movie how it just features women, they're just alone, and then they get uh, attacked by the slasher? Right. Well, this next sequence features a woman, and she just goes jogging, Mo. And she is immediately being watched by the slasher. This is the sequence, by the way, which takes place in a suburban neighborhood in broad daylight. We see this guy take out black rubber gloves and put them on and put his mask on and then slowly take a knife out of a sheath, Mo. Yeah, well, I mean, it's... You know. There are people visibly driving next to him when he's doing this. Well, you're hiding in plain sight. I get it. Hey, you know what? I didn't notice him. I barely noticed what was going on in this movie. I was thinking about literally everything else in my life while I was trying to watch this movie. Yeah. <laughs> so as we've seen before, she starts to notice that this uh, slasher is following her. And admittedly, I would think a lot of women would be very suspicious since there has been a lengthy uh, number of serial murders going on in New York. Well, so, not to mention the fact that a letter was just read on air. Yes. Saying that this particular killer wants to murder every woman. Yeah, like literally every woman. Literally every woman, yeah. And this is a woman. Holy (laughs) shit. (laughs) She's she's really at risk, I would say. (laughs) Mm. Anyway, Mo, this actually, uh, it takes a bit of a twist. So the killer runs after her. Uh, She ends up going behind a hedge. And then what happens? Uh, well, she, what ends up, she ends up, uh, so she loses him for a second, but then he catches back up with her and, um, she comes around a corner (laughs) and he's there. Yes. And she just puts him on his ass. Now I think this is supposed to be one of those moments where like you see like an undertaker moment where he's lying flat on his back and then he just sits up and you're like, holy shit, he's still alive. You know? Um, (laughs) really? (laughs) I think, I think that's supposed to be what happens. It kind of looks like she just pushes him. Yeah, she just, she, yeah, she she really just pushes him, uh, and he falls over and um, just immediately gets back up. And then she ends up running around a corner and hopping into the nearest car that was driving by and they take off. It's a really strange thing because she knocks him down and he's, he's extremely vulnerable for a moment and it seems like she's going to follow up, but then she goes, fuck. And then she just runs away. I don't really get what's. See, but that, suggestion is supposed that's, to be. that's where I had the thought that it was supposed to be one of those, uh, oh, you know, oh, I knocked him out, but, you know, he's still going. I like how your example, by the way, Mo, was The Undertaker, when that Undertaker sit-up is obviously a reference to Michael Myers doing the same thing, you know, in the original slasher movie, Halloween. Yes, well, clearly <laughs> I'm a product of 80s wrestling, okay? <laughs> 80s and uh, 90s wrestling, that's where my bag is. Thank you. If uh, if you didn't already know this, Mo, Detective Stone is a cuck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't say that um, uh, jokingly. He literally is. He's literally, yeah. The next scene involves him coming home to find his wife fucking some dude. Um, and uh, he does not seem bothered or surprised by this. Anybody and who's all- a uh, member of the No Budget Nightmares Facebook group uh, would know that this is the scene that I posted the picture of where I had yes. to uh, classy it up a little bit with a uh, edited on brazier, uh, where the microphone is, well, no, I'm sorry, not just the boom mic, but the <laughs> boom operator is full on in the shot. 
And you, yes, you had to uh, to draw on a brazier because um, Detective Stone's wife is topless because she was, of course, just having sex. The dude that she was having sex with, he doesn't seem that bothered. He gets dressed and leaves. Uh, Detective Stone even even says, like, you know, aren't you supposed to, like, hop out the window or something? But he's like, whatever. He, uh, he literally just goes, yeah, you know. <laughs> Uh, I, th- and, I think uh, what he says is, what's your point? Or something like that. But it's fucking hilarious how little he cares. Th- then uh, then she says this to him. How's your day here? Well, apparently not as good as yours. I've had better. Oh, thank you. I think. So, by the way, that's a really good example of how terrible the sound is in some of this. I mean, it sounds like people are knocking against the microphone as they're talking. It almost sounds like you without your pop filter, Mo. Yeah, well, I've got my pop filter back on. Thank you. So this is, so that's a phone call. He's about to go off and do his work. The The thing we're learning about Detective Stone is that he doesn't care that his wife fucks other people, which is fine. I mean, that's not that uncommon in the real world. Yeah. They don't ever do anything with that. It's no. so fucking weird. I don't yeah. understand why that's, this is a part of the character at all. And there's only one callback to it as well later in the movie. And I don't want to mention it because it gives something huge away and we don't want to do that quite yet. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Every time we see this woman, she's in bed with another person. Now, I'm, I'm not slut shaming. I don't give a shit about that at all. Fuck anybody you want. Fuck as many people as you want. That doesn't bother me. You know, Please it's just, fuck as many people yeah, as you exa- want. Yeah, exactly. Have fun. You know, you only live yeah. once. But, tell um, us about it. Why don't you record yeah, it? Yeah. <laughs> Send it over to the No Budget Networks crew. <laughs> <laughs> you should probably pop that on our Discord, honestly. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Facebook has weird rules. Maybe we'll put a Patreon-only tier. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, Mo, yeah, you, back to you, this. You give us so much money, and then you can send us sex tapes of you. It's... Well, depending, you know. Anyway. Well, yeah. Uh, so, well, where were we? <laughs> I don't know. We're talking about sex tapes now. Um, but yeah, he gets a call from the station. Uh, oh, there's some more things going on. And then he well, says... Well, the thing that's going on, Mo, is they picked up that woman who got away from the slasher. The first time right. someone got away from the slasher. Mm-hmm. I have a theory about this movie uh, that, that will come later on regarding Stone's wife, but I'll, I'll, I'll return to it then. So he heads back to the station. It's Brown and Stone together once again. Um, they're talked to the guy who I guess was already interviewing... The, uh, the the woman who got away from the slasher. Right. <laughs> I guess they didn't have her available for this scene because it really seems like she should be relating some of this information to them. They're hearing everything secondhand, which is kind of strange. Mm. She's waiting for her sister to show up, Mo. Right. So uh, this is how this dialogue goes. Hey, came as soon as we could. What's the deal? <laughs> I've got a woman in here who apparently got away from the slasher. Really? You see his face? Nah, he was wearing a mask. Where all happened? No, happened at Flushing Queens. <laughs> she all right? I mean, is she injured? Um, just a few cuts and bruises, but I think she's very, very shaken and upset. I mean, any of us would be if this... Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> of course. Um, I guess somebody's going to have to come get her? Well, we called her sister before. She should be on her way. I'm here about my sister. Is she here? Is she okay? That's yeah, the voice! Okay. There yeah, it she's is. very, very shaken with only so, a few cuts and bruises. So I left it. I know that's a lengthy uh, audio sequence, but I had to leave the sister talking there because it's so ridiculous when it comes in. So if you didn't know, this was another sequence that is all post-dubbed, and it is unbelievable how those people are talking. There's a part where uh, Detective Stone, the director, he gets like distracted by something and starts talking to somebody else. It's so weird. Yeah. 
it's a poor uh, a poor uh, choice, I would say. <laughs> so, 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 Doug, I got a question for you. Please. What interrogation room are they standing in front of? Tell me, Mo. It's interrogation room four. How do you, you want... know? Well, you see, here's the <laughs> thing. They took a piece of paper <laughs> and in pen wrote interrogation room four on it and then taped it with one piece of tape to the door. Look, they've been doing a lot of <clears throat> renovations in the office lately. <laughs> 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 you gotta do what you gotta do, Mo. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh, as we mentioned, her sister does show up for a second there, but but then um, the two cops, uh, our two lead uh, actors, are uh, called over to the chief once again. Now, here's the funny thing: is I thought the chief was calling them into his office, right? And then and then they get in there. And it's the bathroom. And yeah. that, like, honestly, that had probably got the biggest laugh out of me from the entire movie because, like, I thought they were calling him into the office. Like, no, come into the bathroom here. So he, they relate all the things they just heard from that dude to the chief. Of course, they don't know, like, any of the details at all outside of Because they never talked to her. Yeah, they, they never talked, talked to her. her. That's right. And they, <laughs> but, but, you know, he lets him, uh, lets the chief know that the guy, the slasher, wears a mask. Uh, and that's basically all they say to him. <laughs> he yeah. wears a mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they say the press is going to have a fucking field day with this, Mo. And they do, because when they go back in finally to see her, Perry's in there interviewing her already. How yes. they how they let the fucking reporter in there to interview her before the fucking cops do is... It's unbelievable. It's I mean, she's really, inside the interrogation room. Basically. Yeah. I mean, it is crazy. So after... we, we Oh, boy. The, the, the relationship between these police officers and the press... Is, uh, is, is, well, we'll talk about it in just a second. Anyway, Inspector Brown, who, by the way, is the lead of this movie. It might not seem that way because we talk more about Inspector Stone, but he's about to take the front and center role. He drives the, uh, the woman who got away from the slasher home. She's still pretty shaken up. Uh, he offers a police car to stay at her house that night, uh, but she says that she's going to have her sister stay over that night. See, now here's the funny thing. This is the part that made me laugh. She turns down the police uh, you know, watch whatever you want yeah. to call it. You know, mm-hmm. um, because her sister is coming. To, this is a guy who wants to kill every woman on the planet. Yeah, and she thinks she's going to be safer with her sister there. Now, of course, the irony is that she's not safe at all with the cop there. But that's neither. That's a, that's something for later. It's so strange because he says to her, Inspector Brown says, "There's no rhyme or, re- or pattern to his victims." Which, of course, isn't true because he, he's killing only women, which is a pattern. But right. what he means is that, you know, it's very unlikely that he's going to come back and try to kill her because um, he's going to probably stay low for, lay low for a while. But the, the irony is he's completely wrong about that. She becomes his sole focus after this. Yeah. <laughs> so she gets to her house. Or he gets to her house to drop her off. And she notices that her sister hasn't arrived yet. So she's expecting her sister basically to be there, as she should, right? She doesn't want to go into the house by herself. Right. When she notices her sister isn't there, she invites Inspector Brown in for coffee. Ooh, um, I, by I the way, like there is. Your coffee. <laughs> there's something else kind of strange about this movie, which is that every once in a while, the soundtrack. Like, we've already talked about some of the issues with the sound switching from ADR to right. kind of badly microphoned uh, aspects. Sometimes it just goes completely silent. Like, the audio will just drop out entirely. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I think that has something to do with trying to hide some sort of audio issue. But you think they would have at least stuck some fucking music over it or something? Yeah, well, that's why, you know, people do, you know, room noise for so many seconds. So they mm-hmm. have that. But, you know, whatever. That's just that's just stuff that people do. And, you know. Look, I mean, if you are a micro-budget filmmaker and you need to, uh, to, to fill in a little audio space in your feature, let me, let me just do this for a second. <laughs> now just loop that <laughs> and you have a gentle pleasant hum in the background of any sequence mm. or you could use that um, the enterprise uh, idling for 20 hour <laughs> YouTube video that's out there <laughs> I'm a nerd anyway they go in side mo uh, and she mentions some fun facts about herself she's a sculptor she studied martial arts in college which is why she's able to handle herself against the slasher um, and of course she immediately brings up the subject she asks uh, the, the uh, Brown whether he's married or not and she uh, he says <clears throat> he says that he hasn't been that excited over anyone to tell you the truth nobody is that excited about me what's um what's of note in this scene now I'm gonna say Mo are you referring to facial hair no okay because I did notice that this uh, gentleman who plays uh, Brown, his facial hair changes in length from sequence to sequence, and this one is particularly short compared to the rest of the movie. Tell me, Mo, what are you referring to? I'm referring to the fact that his half of the audio is so much fucking louder than hers. <laughs> you know, so what makes me th- what makes me think what happened was they didn't want to use that same high pitched man ADR voice actor sure. to, to cover her lines. So they ADR'd his lines and kept hers as real audio because uh, the audio quality changes hard between him talking and her talking. And he is literally like 15 fucking decibels louder than she is. It's so loud. So they have a conversation uh, about his relationship with Stone and how long they've known each other and the fact that his wife fucks around on him. Yeah. Uh, they mentioned that they solved that rape case. And uh, she says that Perry Purcell mentioned that when her and her sister talked to her. And that makes Brown very upset. He says. Yeah, Perry Purcell mentioned that when my sister and I talked to her. Perry Purcell? That woman is the biggest pain in my ass. I kind of sense that when you and Stone had her ordered out of the building after a full body cavity search. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you can force someone to have a full body cavity search when they they have voluntarily entered a building and just want to leave. Yeah, I don't think you can legally do that. Well, here's the thing: you, you know, it's free to get in, but you got to pay to get out. I guess so. <laughs> uh, I. I Again, uh, that is an extension of their uh, abilities that not only is hard to believe, but also seems like an infringement on her right to... Again, they let her in there to ask those fucking questions. They yeah. could have stopped her. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, that is... I would think a police station is not public property. You can't just waltz in there. Anyway, Mo, I'm getting a little upset. Getting a little upset here. Yeah, and we're only a half an hour into this movie, so let's... And we're going to motor on. <laughs> Please. So... He talks about how he's he doesn't like Perry Purcell because of the the journalism that she's doing, and then he mentions this. Mo, I want to point out the way that he re- he says the word uh, women in this sequence. Let's listen. I mean, what she's doing isn't journalism. It's stupid. I mean, she doesn't. She just doesn't realize what she's <laughs> dealing with. She's been to these crime scenes. She knows what he does to women. <laughs> 
and she doesn't care. <laughs> Cut. She, knows, she knows what he does to women. <laughs> well, you know what Chris Benoit did to women. Ouch. Ouch. Anyway. <laughs> so uh, it's been a long time ago. Uh, we, we, we're past it now, Mo. Yeah, it's not too soon anymore. <laughs> so uh, basically Brown says don't talk to Perry anymore. And he suggests that uh, the reason why he shouldn't ta- she shouldn't talk to the reporter is because she'll put your name all over television. You don't want the slasher getting your name. And it actually freaks her out, as it should. Um, and Brown says that he's going to talk to Perry Purcell. He's going to get her to shut her mouth before she goes on the news at 10 o'clock. She says, he says that he has something that he can hold over her. Basically, that uh, she doesn't want to get carted off for having illegal aliens as a cleaning crew in her house, Mo. Oh. So then they talk about uh, marriage. <laughs> yeah. He says he's not sour, just hasn't found the right person yet. Uh, she feels the same. They have a lot in common, Mo. And then they lean forward, and they're just about to start making out, even though they have absolutely zero chemistry. And then the phone rings, Mo. And it's Stone. This is a uh, this is a recurring gag, too. Like, this happens yes. at least... Well, I would say it happens at least one more time in the film. <laughs> well, that's that's a yeah. recurring gag. It happens twice. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they're about to to get mad, ruddy, as they say. Uh, but like you like you said, Nobody Stone calls. Stone calls, and this happens. But I'd probably be doing much better if you hadn't called. Well, listen, Stud. I'm sorry to be cramping your style like this, but uh, we've got a big crisis on our hands, and you're gonna have to uh, meet up with me. We're gonna have to talk because uh, we have a little problem. I put that clip in because Jim Haggerty, the uh, the director of this movie, his delivery as Stone in that sequence is exactly like Tim Heidecker playing Decker on his web series, where it's just like full confidence, completely incompetently delivered dialogue. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you, you got to come down here. We got a we got a big problem here. Uh, come on. Uh, uh. Um, anyway, sorry, director uh, Jim Haggerty, you're doing your best. <laughs> So, by the way, this uh, the woman who got away from the slasher mo. Her name is Lara. Lara Mo. Oh, see, I I literally never wrote that down because they just keep calling her Miss Carruthers, and uh, <laughs> so so I in, in a couple of mo, uh, most of the of my notes I just call her the jogger because I wasn't paying attention to her name. But name is Lara Mo. Yeah, sometimes I call her Carruthers. So Stone says we got a big problem. You got to come over right now. What is the big problem, Mo? Uh, they got another note from yes. the slasher, mm-hmm. uh, saying basically, listen, you need to hand that woman over to me or I'm going to kill her entire family. Yes, that's exactly it. By the way, this is information he could have related over the phone. Doesn't really necessarily require an in-person meetup, right. but, uh, but you know, Hey, they like to catch up. Don't. Don't really know why it played out this way, but the important thing, the most important thing, Mo, is that is they then... don't send any protection over to the other houses. <laughs> yes. The other important thing is that we are now introduced to Lara's sister. Now, the the killer said, "You better give me Lara, or I'm going to start killing her family." I guess he decided to wait what 15 minutes. <laughs> Basically, and then he's just going to get to it. Maybe he just wanted to show that he was serious. We see Lara's sister, uh, who we didn't really see before. We just really kind of heard her. She's letting her dog out, Mo. That made me very concerned for this dog. Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole scene in this that makes you really concerned about the dog. But the dog's fine. It's this scene. This is the scene, which is yeah. concerning. 
<laughs> so we see Stone. He's on a payphone. He's trying to call our sister, basically, to warn her that there might be someone trying to kill her. Uh, but she is on the phone with someone named Bill, uh, and she says goodbye. And we actually see Mo. Am I wrong about this? That we see the slasher inside her apartment? Yeah, she he comes in right behind her. Yes, but, he does. But the irony is, he goes right back outside again. He must go right back outside again. Yeah. Why does what? Like that is so confusing. Anyway. She finishes a phone call. She does what anyone would do after talking to somebody named Bill on the phone. She decides she needs to get a shower. Yep, she needs to get that shower in. <laughs> now, she gets naked, Mo, completely yes, naked. Yes, yes, Now, she tell does. me about Lara's sister. Oh, my God. Yes. Oof. Yes. Vavoom. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know. I didn't really look at the face, but, you know, great tits. Oh, pfft. Mo. Look, I don't even. Yeah, I know it's 2019. I don't even. I don't even give a shit. You know, Um, she she has a a very, very large breasts. She's a Russ Meyer esque uh, figure (laughs) here. Uh, What else, Mo? What else about her? Uh, She has other piercings. Mm Hmm. That it actually took me a couple of uh, uh, of times to actually notice, like slow motion action. Yeah, no, no, no. Trust me, I watch. The, I don't care how much boobs there are on screen. I'm watching this movie in 1.5. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but they like to linger on certain areas, and uh, happen to notice that she had uh, piercings, uh, you know, uh, down there where the other thing. Uh, Babu. Hey, oh. She also has a um, what appears to be the 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 Klingon symbol shaved into her pubic hair. Oh, I didn't even notice. <laughs> it's just some sort of weird symbol that's been, uh, I don't know, it probably was like a heart or something like that, but it's a little hard to see in this fuzzy video. Anyway, so uh, she gets naked, uh, goes for a shower. We see the killer now outside staring at her dog. Made me very concerned again, Mo. Yeah, because that was a cute dog. We don't actually see her wash herself in the shower. No, it's we- funny. Like We see him <laughs> looking at the dog, and then as if by magic, the shower is over. The shower is over. She just did it very quickly. Got out. Now she's drying her hair, Mo. And I do have to say, she dries her hair fucking forever. It takes so goddamn long. And if we just watch her dry her stupid hair and then put her jeans on again. Her dirty old jeans, Mo. Doug, have you ever had, like, really long hair? Yeah. So, like, when, when you had really long hair, how did you dry it? Um... Well, I, I prefer to air dry. But if you oh. were using a hair dryer, what, what are you talking about? Are you are you mocking her hair drying style? No, no, no. I'm just asking because you said it takes her forever to dry your hair. And like, I'm I mean, not saying I'm not I'm not commenting on the fact that it takes her a long time to dry her hair. I'm commenting on the fact that they decided to show us, not show, yes, to show us uh, the, the the whole process. They kind of just cut it out. And for that, I thank them. <laughs> <laughs> Mo, it's two, it's, tw- it's twenty nine. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, by the way, the other thing that I want to note here is, wasn't her sister like expecting her at her place like any second now? What? Yeah. What is she? She decides she's gonna get a shower. What? Yeah. Come on. Um. She she puts on a baggy t shirt. She goes outside to get her dog, Mo. Uh, and while she's outside, she misses another call from Stone. The dog is missing, Mo. But mm-hmm. then she calls for him. His name is Sammy. And she calls for the dog. The dog comes out, Mo, and then what happens? <laughs> yeah, what? Uh, yeah, so the dog comes around the corner and, uh, ooh, hey, there's the slasher. And he picks her up and he drags her over the fence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he fucking stabs her to death and somehow rips open a piece of her shirt to expose her nipple at the same time. Um, that made me the dog, The dog is watching while this occurs. 
He's fucking loving it. <laughs> that dog is so happy. Like, it's fucking hilarious. Like, it's just running around in the background. And I think they cut the scene short because the dog was getting too excited. I mean, there's edits all over the place. All it's over. so weird. But the, it's funny. Like, anytime there's a wide shot from the from a, a lower angle, the dog's always in the background, like, just fucking ha- hopping around, like, just big fucking smile on its face. It's great. I mean, and to the movie's credit, that dog... Doesn't get hurt at all. <laughs> no, thank goodness. Yeah, that killer only hates women. He must love dogs. <laughs> must have, must have. Look, the fact of the matter is, I don't care if you if you hate women, if you hate men, if you hate. You don't you know, care. Well, I care well, about those. Things, well, I mean, okay? yeah, obviously, I fucking care. <laughs> Jesus Christ! But you know, the, my point is, mm-hmm. everybody loves dogs. Not everybody, Mo. Well, stupid people don't like dogs. Correct. So Brown drives Lara to her sister's house. He tells her to wait in the car. Um, he goes to uh, the door. No one seems to be home, Mo. And then he hears... Uh, actually, the slasher is watching him, by the way, behind a bush, which should be very visible to Lara as she's sitting in the car. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he thinks he cannot be seen. His face is just sticking out there. Yep. But uh, but uh, Brown hears a scream. It's actually Lara. She has gotten out of the car, and she has discovered her sister's body, her nipple hanging out. And Brown, he's like, you don't want to see that. He takes her away. Yeah. Mary Perry Perselmo, the uh, the reporter. Oh, yeah, the one who does her own ADR. I remember her. <laughs> she calls the detectives. She mentions that she's not too happy about that cavity search she had to go through. Well, I wouldn't be either, Mo. Yeah. It was, now, it was illegal. You're mentioning uh, something about microphones, Mo. <laughs> <laughs> something about microphones in this movie. Tell me, tell me about this sequence. Uh, yeah, there's a, now is this the one where the microphone is on the bottom? Like, just like, it's on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. It's like right up in her face. Like, like they could have, I mean, like they could have blocked the shot in just a little bit more and kept the mic out. If you needed to have it that close, you could have put something in front of it. Yeah. Like a can of Coke or something. Like, come on. Or like a pregnant woman. Yeah, exactly. Good, good thoughts. (laughs) So, so she, she basically is calling the cops to tell them to kiss her ass she says that she's got the mother of all exclusives, uh, and she's talking about the fact that, that she interviewed Lara and her sister. Brown tells her that she can't use any of that. So this is what his response is, and then her response to that, listen to her fuck up her line horribly, and it be left in the movie. No, no, bad. You cannot use any of bad. that. Bad. <laughs> What's up, cop girls? This is the big time. You can't just go around... Talking to reporters and then expect some bullies at the police department not to, to keep your names out of the press. <laughs> and cut, cut and print. <laughs> Sorry, that's all the video we got left today. Yeah. Looks like we can't try that one again. I mean, holy fuck. And th- look, this, the woman who plays Perry Purcell is, is better than most of the actors in this movie, yeah. I think. Yeah. She fucks up almost every line she does and they left it in the movie. I like I was just like, no, that's good enough. She didn't just fuck up that one major line. It's like the whole delivery is kind of a fuck up. Yeah, like, I feel like if they had done a take two with all of her lines, she would have been the like the crowning like joy of this movie. She would have been the best, the best <laughs> actor in the movie, period. <laughs> but they kept in every single fuck up. So they threaten her. They said they're going to bury her if she puts that information out there uh, since it's going to put someone's life in danger. They let her know that uh, that Lara's sister was killed. And then um, she says that because she doesn't want to put someone's life in danger and because it could reflect badly on her, uh, that, that she's not going to go forward with the information. But she does say that when this guy gets the electric chair, 
uh, that she wants to she wants an exclusive. And uh, Brown says, when he gets the electric chair, I'll get you the best seat in the house. Right in his fucking lap. Oh, what does that mean? I don't even understand what he's trying to say there. Also, she, she her, went her along too. with him. Yeah, like, she like, agreed. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's that's perfect. All right. I mean, that is a good. <laughs> it's a good spot. Uh, <laughs> does New York have uh, capital punishment? Um, I don't know if it did in two thousand or not. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Anyway, so uh, they <laughs> the cops go to. Um, oh, sorry. Brown goes to interview Lara again. Um, she says that she's going to be all right. She can't believe her sister is gone. Uh, the cops tell her not to blame herself. Um, they insist to her that she doesn't attend her, her sister's wake or funeral until they catch the, flat, the slasher first because they worry that he could follow her and get a lead on where she might be. Right. This, there's so much talking in this fucking movie, Mo. <laughs> Just, it makes it seem so much longer than it has to be. Um, I mean, anyone who's listening to us right now, they probably figured it out. Lengthy talking. Slasher sequence, you know, lengthy talking slasher sequence, and it just kind of goes back and forth. Yeah, I mean, basically, honestly, between here and the end of the movie, the only thing ever really of note is when they mispronounce shit, <laughs> you know, like Stone mispronouncing quasi. What does he say? He says quasi. <laughs> it's it's, it's uh, close. That's not bad. Sure. So Brown goes on this monologue about how he can't promise her that they're going to catch the slasher soon. But he has a feeling that they're going to, even though they haven't, and they have no clues at all about how to fucking catch him. Right. Uh, but they're, they're, they're going to send her to a safe house, basically, uh, and hopefully she won't have to stay there long. Uh, and they're hoping that they can catch this guy soon. Mm-hmm. So Brown and Stone, they're going to go to the funeral. They're going to see if they can see the slasher there. But uh, before that, they have an old friend dropping by. It's Lisa LaRumo. She's an S&M hooker who says she has some info on the identity of the slasher. I like Lisa. This is the person she's in. (laughs) This is one sequence. I feel bad for Lisa, the character in this movie, for reasons which we'll get into in just a moment. I think the woman who plays Lisa uh, is by far the best actress in this entire movie. Mm. Uh, This is Maria Bolaris plays Lisa. I'm gonna uh, the only problem special. Yeah, the problem isn't her performance. The problem's the dialogue. Yeah, of course. Like this is. Let's just say this is very. uh, Like you had said, uh, Quentin Tarantino. I feel this is more. Kevin Smith. Well, where, now it gets to that. Yeah, yeah or it's it's such forced dialogue, and it's like unrealistic dialogue. Like nobody talks like this. Ex- so this scene Kevin goes Smith. on forever. Let's just get to the kind of crux of it, which is yeah. that she uh, she does out calls as an S and M prostitute, and which, by the way, the suggestion here is that she has sex with everybody that she goes out to meet, which. Uh, in the context of people in S and M, that's not really always the case. Yeah, it's um, actually usually not. It's usually not the yeah. case. Um, but anyway, so she goes to this guy's house. Apparently, he's very rich, uh, and he got, he keeps going too far. Tries to push her too far. She wasn't comfortable with it. She even says like, "Let's just have sex and end it." And he's he he just wants to cause her more and more pain. And she knows he had weapons all over the place. Now, in any other movie mode, this whole thing would be a red herring. But she's actually has pinpointed the exact guy who is the killer. Right. So uh, she says, um, they ask what the guy's fucking name is, and she says that she's not going to tell him unless unless they get rid of a guy named C.C. Lopezmo, who is a new pimp in her neighborhood who is putting the squeeze on her. Sounds like a really interesting side plot's going on, Mo. This goes absolutely fucking nowhere, nowhere. And I have no idea why it's in the movie at all. Yeah. I mean, it's basically just a an excuse to give us the killer's identity. 
Yeah, well, we do learn the identity. His name is Max Donegan, Mo, and he lives in Long Island. Figures. So <laughs> she, says, she says the words Long Island, and the movie immediately cuts to the two of them, to Stone and Brown outside, in some terrible fucking audio. And, and they have this lengthy sequence about basically that, that Donegan's going to crumple and confess as soon as they show up. And it sounds like this. I think we need to go pay this Mr. Donegan a little visit. Yeah, I know what you mean. Just shake him up a little. Throw a little scare into him. Because, you know, these sick guys crack under the pressure real easy. Just the mere mention of the police throw these guys into a frenzy. Exactly. We'll go there, flesh up badge to show old police authority. This guy will be singing like Beverly Sills. He'll start confessing to crimes he never even committed. He'll confess to crimes that never even happened. I think we should go keep him in So I left that lengthy part in, Mo, because I want people listening to this to know that's the entire movie. That's kind of back and forth, which sounds terrible, has all these fucking weird moments, like he says that she's going to be singing like Beverly Sills. Um... And sound terrible. Like, they, the audio quality is horrible the whole time. Yeah. And, uh, that, oh, that and none of that happens. And also completely extraneous. Yeah. Right? They could have just because then it cuts to them going to Max's door. Well, couldn't they have just gone from her saying Long Island to them going to his fucking door? Yeah. Anyway, and, and they like knock. The, and the, sec, the second he, yeah, so yeah, like you said, they knock on his door. And the second he opens, you're like, oh, yeah, that's definitely the slasher. Yeah, you, exactly, because we know what he looks like. Yeah, you recognize his fucking hair immediately. It's definitely the fucking slasher. Uh, you know, and, but he's not a crumple under the pressure sort of guy. In fact, he's uh, a surprisingly well put together, although angry gentleman who basically chews them out and tells them, look, if you want to talk to me, just talk to my fucking lawyer. Yeah, you know? which under actually under the circumstances is exactly the right response. They show up to his house yeah. at 10 p.m. at night. Yeah. What took him so long to get to Long Island, Mo? Well, they were driving from Ithaca. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I, that does make a little bit of sense. I don't. For know. all I know, up here in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> I. Uh, I if, well, Ithaca's up. Ithaca's a lot closer to Canada than it is New York City. I'll tell you that. I much. do know that because Ithaca's yeah. fairly close to Buffalo, which is, of course, where my wife is from. Um, they they do describe him as like <laughs> Andrew Dice Clay warming up the crowd at Lilith Fair, which is. <laughs> Maybe the most fucking 90s comment of all time. I like how he doesn't even say Andrew Dice Clay. He goes, yeah. that was like Dice, Dice. Clay. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they say that they could bring the guy in, but they would, he would be released by morning anyway. But they both are completely convinced that he is the guy. Right. Next day, Mo, they find Lisa's corpse. Lisa, the S&M prostitute, they find her corpse. They do not give a shit. And McRae's got the high-pitched guy voice again, which yep. makes me fucking laugh every fucking time. Uh, but yeah, poor poor Lisa. I felt bad Lisa for was her. thrown from a sixth-floor window. Her corpse is on the street. Um, again, these cops are such assholes. They're not upset at all. They say this. Poor Lisa. She thought all she had to worry about was CC the killer pimp. But no, she had to also worry about the slasher because... They did nothing to protect her after she identified him. Yep. Uh, it makes me very, very upset, Mo. So, Lara, so uh, Brown, the t- detective, he goes to the safe house. He meets Lara inside. At the same time, Stone, he goes to see Max Donegan. He's going to lean on him a little bit, Mo. And when he gets there, Max is taking out the trash. He doesn't want Stone on his property, which is very reasonable. Uh, and, uh, and, by the way, the mic is very visibly in frame in this sequence yes, as well. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, Brown has a uh, a bit of a dialogue with the uh, 
what was her name? Lara. Lara. Yeah, the jogger, whatever. Uh, and oh my god, they just have the cringiest fucking conversation about how they missed each other. It was like Jesus Christ. I mean, they've they've talked. I guess they could have talked on the drive over to her house, her house. But I mean, there's been so little development of that relationship, yeah. and we're supposed to be thinking that they're basically in love with each other. I mean, honestly, they haven't... honestly, it's borderline Stockholm syndrome, where it's like he's feeding her all this shit about how terrified she needs to be, mm-hmm. you know, because there's some guy out to, out to try to kill her, but he's the only one who can protect her. So it's also incredibly inappropriate for yes, a police officer exactly. to get involved with someone involved in the case. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Stone is. Over, he's bothering Max. Um, Max tells him to get a warrant, and uh, Stone says that maybe I'll just go through your trash. And Max says that's fine. There's only magazines in there. And then his response, uh, Stone's response, is this: Oh, porno magazines. You misogynistic types usually love your porn. What? Or is it bondage shit, torture shit? Or maybe it's the guy guy stuff. Usually, you guys that hate women so much have a reason. Usually, something to do with not being sexually aroused by them. Any prison shrink will tell you that. Is that what it is? Wow. Let me make something very clear. Uh, misogyny is not tied into homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also, murder is not tied into homosexuality. And boy, what a terrible fucking thing to put into your movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess you can just make the case that he's just trying to get a rise out of the guy, which is what he is trying to do in this sequence. Um, also, I don't think porno is tied into misogyny necessarily as well. A lot of, a lot of really, a lot of stretching going on here, I would say. Yeah. But but it does work. Max gets very upset, tells him to get off his property. Um, and he, then he says, he lets a little slip mo. he says he wasn't even in Queens the day the girl got attacked. And uh, Stone mentions, he goes like, who said anything about Queens? Some took place in all of the five boroughs. Uh, so now, uh, now that he's uh, giving himself away, he says, Max, you got to come downtown. And what does Max do, Mo? Oh, uh, he does what any reasonable killer does. He uh, smacks him with a two by four. Ho! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he hacks all Jim Duggan's in. Uh, Stone later wakes up with a bloody mouth. Max is over him, smiling. He goes, you want to know what I did? Want to know what they went through? You'll be the first man I ever kill. And he even mentions that there's been a lot of murders that they haven't even found yet. Uh, they think that he's only been killing for three months. He said he's been killing people since 1994, which at the time this uh, movie came out, Mo, that would have been about six years. Hmm. He said he used to bury his bodies and cover his tracks, pick victims that wouldn't be missed, but now he wants fame and publicity. Yeah, he, uh, then he, he talks about... He, he fucking villain monologues a lot. Yeah, he does. Well, he's he is a bit of a better actor than most in the movie, but Fairness. that does not excuse what's going on here. Yeah. Um, he says the whole country wants him dead because he killed. Um, and then he tells Stone that he's going to experience what all the other victims experienced. But uh, but of course we've only ever seen him stab people kind of inelegantly. There's um, a uh, there's a line in this too that really makes me laugh because of the cho- the word choice they do. Mm-hmm. So so he asks him he goes you know he goes you know you'd kill me Stone, and Stone says in a Texas second. Yeah, and I'm like I'm like you're in New York. <laughs> you could have said in a New York minute, but you said in a Texas second, which is not a fucking thing. <laughs> You are correct, Bob. Glad you brought attention to that fucking idiotic line. So, uh, the killer, Max, he picks up a chainsaw. Stone starts to scream as he slices into him with the chainsaw. We never see it actually happen. All we see is blood splatter. But uh, this is not a bait and switch. Stone is murdered in this He's straight dead. Brown is looking elsewhere. 
Uh, he's looking outside. Um, okay, no, he's still with Lara. That's right. Okay, so Stone. So Brown is still with Lara. He says that Stone is doing some light harassment to uh, to Max. Brown is confident that Max is the killer. I don't know if he is so confident that the killer Stone, is there and they know. Stone's him. doing some light harassment to Max, and Max is doing some light pruning to. <laughs> <laughs> It's amazing if Brown is so convinced that that guy's a killer that he just sent his one person over there. Yeah. Why didn't they send a whole fucking crew of people to keep an eye on him? They should have fucking swatted that shit. 90 murders, Mo. Yeah. That Like, they know it's a serial killer, and they have a strong suspect, and they sent one person over mm-hmm. to take a look. So anyway, <laughs> Lara still can't believe her sister is gone. Brown says that it's a sad, scary world. Sometimes the worst things happen to the best people. And there's no rhyme or reason for it. A little grooming, as you mentioned, Mo. Yeah. He's a sensitive man. They go in for another kiss, and then the phone rings. And he thinks it's Stone, and he answers Mo, and it sounds like this. What? My God. Where? (sighs) All right, all right. I'll be right over. He was getting the news, Mo. That uh, they found Stone, and uh, <laughs> Brown went to pieces, and Stone was already in pieces. Wow. Because he got sliced up with a chainsaw. Did you write that joke down? No. <laughs> oh, that's just off the dome? Nice. Off the dome! <laughs> yeah, he show- so he tells- yeah, he shows up, there's a trash bag there filled with Stone's body parts. They open up the bag, and the fucking head falls out. I'm like... His response is, oh, no, fuck. Even though he'd already heard, of course, that Stone is dead. Right. Um, so the was it, what's her name? McRae? McRae. The other cop? She says that we'll definitely get him. He killed a cop. That's death. So a Brown mourns him briefly, uh, and then he blames himself for Stone's death. He's like, we were always together. Why wasn't I there? So they have a warrant on hey, Max. You were trying they to ca- fuck a witness. <laughs> <laughs> they have a warrant on Max. That they sent two guys to pick him up. You but think he they would have sent the... Yeah, he wasn't there. He wasn't home, so they couldn't arrest him. Yeah, that's just how it works. Um, but, the, but, they say, but the logic is so fucking stupid. They're like, oh, we'll I like, just, they, they yeah. say directly, as soon as he gets back. Yeah, as soon as he him. gets back, like, oh, he just ran out to get some milk. When he comes back, we'll arrest him. Like, clearly. They understand that the cops know who he is at this point. He ain't going back to his house. Yeah. So Brown, uh, he he's convinced that he knows where Lara is, um, and that's where he's gone. He's 100% right, because then we cut to Max slitting some guy's throat. Now, the guy he slits the throat of is supposed to be a police officer who's outside watching the safe house. Yeah. Uh, he also is the guy who was sleeping with Stone's wife earlier, but I don't think he's supposed to be the same character. Yeah. He has the same hair, though. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he's supposed to be the same character. I didn't. I honestly didn't even notice that, but that is funny. Um, I also also funny is his uh, quote unquote police uniform, um, which basically looks like a blue, <laughs> like a navy blue button up shirt with like pieces of felt like sewn onto the shoulders. It's bad. Well, they slit his throat, and that is like an actual effect. We see the throat being slit. It's like the one. Um, it's it's honestly, I think it's the one on-screen kill we actually see. No, no, there's one more oh, at the right. very end. Yeah, true, uh, true. That that is even more um, explicit. Oh, God, but we'll talk right. about that. <laughs> yeah. I had to... So Max kills the guy, goes over, knocks on the safe house door. Lara answers <laughs> immediately. It's a safe house, by the way. Yeah. People are not supposed to be knocking on the fucking door. Should be a buzzer system or something. Uh, she thinks it's going to be uh, Brown, but it's Max. Brown is rushing over. Um, Lara uh, tries to talk to Max. She says, 
she asks him why he's doing this. He says that she's the one who got away. She, uh, she basically tries to reason with him and try to get him to uh, feel sorry for her. And he goes, wait until Brown sees what I did to his partner. She screams. Brown finds the officer with his throat cut. Um, I don't know if you noticed this either, Mo. This guy whose throat was cut, they do a slow close-up on him while uh, Brown finds his body. His eyes are, like, darting all over the fucking <laughs> I didn't notice that. That's so funny. Brown rushes inside. Um, the camera just stops and, and freezes on the door as he runs inside. Then he slowly walks outside with his gun, Mo, and sits on the steps. <laughs> the camera slowly zooms out and fades to black. We know what it suggests, Mo. She's dead already. Yep. Lara's gone forever. He's very down because he lost his partner and his girlfriend in the same day. No boobs. He's a very bad police officer. <laughs> he is a bad police officer. <laughs> so, Brown... Uh, it's his responsibility. He calls Stone's wife to let her know that her husband is dead. Uh, once again, a big old microphone in the bottom left as he's on this payphone. It's impossible oh yeah, this not yeah this it. one is 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 egregious. Like it's it's so close. Like you could read what the microphone says. It's so close to the camera. So this is a very strange sequence. He calls uh, Stone's wife. She is still sitting in bed, topless, just like the last time we saw her. Yep. Um, she, she seems very upset and she says they didn't have a great marriage, but they did love each other and she loved him in her own way. Um, and then Brown says that, that perhaps uh, Stone's wife should call his mom. Um, and I, this is, I mentioned earlier in this episode that I had a theory about her and I feel very confident that this scene originally ended with the camera panning over to show that she was in bed with another woman. Huh. The reason being is, A, why would they have her in bed when he called? Right. B, in the closing credits, they uh, credit a second lover who is a woman right. for for Stone, yeah, which yeah. we never see. And it to me, it's like they, they did that bit and then they realized, wait, having a gag at the end of this, what is supposed to be a serious scene, makes no sense at all. And they cut it out because it really seems awkward. Otherwise, why is this even in the movie? Right. Exactly. So it's very strange. So uh, he gets off the phone. Uh, Perry is there. She's looking for him. Uh, she says she's sorry about Stone's death. Uh, he said he's not in the mood to see her. Uh, and she says that she's heard about the evidence they found at Donegan's house, and she wants to help. And he goes, I'd sooner douse a fire with a can of gasoline. Classic. She's been getting some threatening letters, Mo. The police don't think that they're real. They feel like uh, maybe it's some kind of uh, uh, copycat. Yeah, you know, because there's a killer out there who says he wants to kill women and knows who she is. But yeah, mm -hmm. let's let's not take these threats seriously. So uh, Brown also doesn't want to take it seriously. He tells her to get the fuck out of there, which does not make her very happy. She says this. But either way, you're asking me to be your own personal bodyguard. Get the fuck out of here. You really are a bastard, Brown. If I die, my blood is on your hands. You know, I wouldn't even notice. There's so much blood there already. Oh, Harsh. Harsh words from mm. Mr. Brown. <laughs> um... So she walks off. We see a point of view shot of someone watching her. Um, she gets into her car, and then there's a lengthy sequence of her driving because this movie's going to limp to 90 minutes if it fucking <laughs> kills it. Yup. She gets home, Mo. We see her lay on her bed and go to sleep in her clothes. I guess that's just what this movie's going to be now. Um, she's about to fall asleep. Then the phone rings. It's someone from her work. She says she doesn't care how they edit whatever they're editing. She said... Um, just don't, don't she, cut her commentary. Just don't cut her commentary. She goes back. She lays down. 
She looks up at her uh, um, ceiling fan, and suddenly an axe is above her, Mo. And the very incompetent killer, the slasher, he ends up stabbing her pillow. She t- tries to stop him. She says, I can make you a star. And then suddenly the clever cops burst in, Mo. Um, it's both uh, Brown and McRae, and they catch him red-handed. And Max's response is this. All right. You got me. Arrest me. Take me away. Get on your knees. Ooh, kinky. That's her actual voice. <laughs> yeah, that's McCray's actual voice. Um, <laughs> there is a moment here where we see Brown's gun from a very close-up yes. angle. And uh-huh. Now, they had been smart enough to shoot it from a distance. Um, from a distance. Really? And, uh, yeah, when we finally get this close-up, my God, it is rubber. It's just a solid <laughs> piece of rubber. <laughs> hey, you know what? It's movie magic, Mo. You it's... just got to suspend your ability to disbelieve or whatnot. Sure. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, this guy, uh, as he's getting the handcuffs put on, he's just taunting Brown, uh, basically saying that like he'll never, he's going to... Um, he'll be put on death row. They'll kill him at some point, but how will you sleep until they do? How will you sleep after they do? Aren't you going to wish that you did it? So he's the master of psychology. He's basically trying to pull the old, uh, Brad Pitt and seven thing. Um, Brown holds the gun against his forehead. McRae, after she cuffs him, she says, you can put the gun down now and read him his rights. He pauses for a long time, but he eventually puts the gun down, Mo, and he goes, nah, you do it. It's your collar kid, which is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) He puts on sunglasses and he walks down the street smoking, obviously very frustrated. Yeah, also, you would never leave a murder suspect alone with nope. only one fucking cop. Mm-mm. I mean, come on. Doesn't make a lot of sense if you ask me, Mo. Yeah. So later, Brown is at the office, lost in thought. Uh, the chief asks him um, if he's going to go out, and he says yes, puts on his jacket. The chief says that he's sorry about Stone. He was a good cop. Except he wasn't. And Except he wasn't. He was a very terrible cop. The thing he's being asked to go outside and do is goddamn ludicrous, Mo. What is he being asked to do? Um, I believe he's being asked to uh, pick up the slasher to bring him to court. Which, he... which is not uncommon. But that's not how it's done. Like a, like a cop won't just pick up a suspect like in his car. Like there's By himself. Yeah, by himself. There's like a team of judicial marshals in a armored fucking van who would pick him up and bring him to the thing. You know, I know this because I have a friend who that is his job, you know, like, so I've had, also you've seen movies before and I've seen movies before. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, like my, my real life experience with it is that I, you know, like I know how this process goes, but yeah, no, it's just, it's so fucking ridiculous that they'd think, you know, that he would go and pick up the fucking suspect by himself. So Brown waits outside the, uh, the, the jail uh, to pick up Max to bring him to the courthouse. Uh, Perry, she is reporting from the courthouse. The trial starts today. All makes sense. This is what her report on it sounds like. Listen for some more fuck-ups. This is Perry Purcell reporting live from the city courthouse where we are awaiting the arrival of accused serial killer Maxwell Francis Donegan. Donegan's trial starts today for more than 90 murders, including the brutal slaying of two police officers that included heroic inspector Keith Stone. The so-called slasher murders have been terrorizing the city for more than three months, and Donegan has confessed to more murders since 1994. Donegan is expected to be driven to the courthouse by Larry Brown. 
<laughs> Almost made it by Larry Brown. Um, Cut print. Again, all in, that's all information we already knew anyway, so right. completely unnecessary to include in the movie. So uh, Max, being driven by Larry Brown, uh, Max says that if he has a good lawyer, he's going to cop an insanity plea, do a little time in an institution. He's not ready to, uh, to die yet. He'll make some progress and get let out. Um, See, here, here's one of the biggest misconceptions, like one of the biggest fallacies in fucking film is the whole, oh, he's going to plead insanity. He's going to go to a mental institution for a couple of years and then get put and then get released. That's not how the that's not how insanity pleas work. I mean, this is a very common movie trope, though, right? Yeah. where where like, like like the cops don't trust the system and people who are very like obviously transparently evil with no shades of gray at all that that they're going to be like, I'm going to like a I'm going to go to a mental hospital and be out in months. But let me just make something very clear. That doesn't happen in real life. That doesn't happen in particular when you are a you killed ninety people. Right, you are never going to see the light of day. Right, <laughs> right. There's so there's a very famous thing that happened here in Canada uh, where on a Greyhound bus a man killed and mutilated someone on that bus. It was found out later that that man had not taken uh, the medication to to uh, address his schizophrenia. He, you know, this was a, a thing that happened. The only time it ever happened in his entire life. He went to a mental institution for years and years and years, and now he's able to go out uh, for visitation, uh, monitored visitations and things like that. And people lost their mind when they found out it, about it, even though he had a specific medical condition that was then addressed, has had no violent tendencies or any suggestion at all towards violence. Even then, people were protesting and, and you know, really upset about it. Right. This is a guy who killed 90 people. <laughs> right. And in the States, the way it works is if you happen to be able to pull off an insanity plea, they put you in the institution, and and if by some chance they get you, you get yourself to the point where they feel like you're ready to, to re-enter society, then they charge you for the fucking crimes, and you go to fucking jail for them. Because now you can. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So, Brown misses his turnoff towards the courthouse, Mo. He Ruh-roh. says it's a change of plan. The trial isn't moving. You are. Max gets really upset. He even tries to, to uh, get out of the car. I, I'm not surprised to discover, Mo, that he can't just open up the door and fucking leave yeah. in the backseat. Right. Uh, he starts yelling uh, at, at Brown, and, and Brown's response is this. Shut up, bitch! <laughs> he stops the car to do that. Uh-huh. Max offers him money. Um, Brown... Uh, Brown is convinced that what he said is true, that he's going to get a piece of shit lawyer to get him off. He's been a cop too long, and he's too smart to let that happen. He knows the jury will, um, won't convict him, so he, he brought him uh, to the middle of the woods. Mo, again, international waters. Uh, these are the woods that I guess that uh, Max has left bodies in before. There is something notable before we get to who he's meeting in the woods, Mo. What's notable about Max's prison uniform? Um... I'm not going to lie. I didn't pay much attention to it. I mean, I know it's white. It is white. Yeah. It has a number on it, Mo. Or should I, I should say a combination of letters and numbers. His prison uniform number is OU812. Oh, Jesus Christ. I know. I could not fucking believe it. Now, so just before we finish up, because this is the very end of the movie, the tone of this movie, even though it has comedic moments, is very serious for the most part yeah. all the way through. Yeah. It has lighter like sequences throughout it, but for the most part, we're supposed to take these events 
very, very seriously. And then they go ahead and do something fucking idiotic like that and undermine their own tension in the in the crucial scene of the entire movie. Oh, you wait one too. <laughs> Brown brings Max to uh, a little clearing, and there are a bunch of very confused-looking people there, Mo. <clears throat> Who are these people? Uh, this is the families of some of his victims. Yes. They all have knives. <laughs> like, I wonder how the mass text on this one, I know, you know, there probably wasn't a text, but you know what I mean? Like, the mass message system went out for this one. Yeah, just meet me in this uh, in this clearing off of uh, Granada over there, and uh, yeah, bring, bring a knife. Well, I'll, I got something for you. He says, I give you the slasher. Rip him up. Rip him up. And then all of these family members uh, who are now complicit in the murder of a human being, they all stab him, stab him. All over the place, blood going everywhere. One guy stabs his eyeball out, Mo. Classic. Again, final four minutes of the movie. Finally, we get some actual violence. Yeah, this is fucking brutal. This is this is like a brutal uh, death scene. They cut his stomach and rip his intestines out. Is that what they do? I thought they cut his dick off. I think they also cut his dick off. Yeah. Maybe maybe that maybe I was confusing intestines for dick, as I often do. In life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brown just sits down, smokes, and watches <clears throat> while this happens. The camera slowly fades to the sky as if God himself is watching it and approving. <laughs> and then a rock song plays, Mo. It's called Five by the band Tang. And the movie ends. Mm-hmm. Mob justice is a good thing, according to the makers of The Slasher from the year 2000. A, um, a movie that not only is poorly made, but has a reprehensible message. Yeah. Yeah. It is not a completely unwatchable movie. No, I'll agree with that. It's, I mean, so I actually watched it once before I took notes on it just so I could have, you know, I mean, I, I'm trying to take, you know, we're seven years into the show. I got to start taking things more seriously at some point, you know? <laughs> and uh, so I, so I decided to watch the movie beforehand. And honestly, I watched about half of it before I had to shut it off and do something. But, um, but I will say that like, I had no, like a lot of times when I'm watching these movies, like even just watching them, I'm like, Ugh, come on. Right. Like I, mm-hmm. I didn't really have that with this, you know, like the note taking process is always a little tedious, um, especially because we take such copious notes, but, um, I, I didn't have an issue with this. I, I, I it could have been so much worse and there was just enough intentional and unintentional comedy in it that uh, that it kept it light enough for me to not want to kill myself by the end of the movie. It's interesting that it is a slasher movie, but it isn't a slasher movie uh, in the mold of the most popular 80s slasher movies. Mm. Uh, this is more a police procedural, it, more like something like, almost like Blood Cult or something like that, right. you know, where, where it, it not only is enjoying uh, the tropes of the slasher movie, but also it wants to be something like Seven, uh, or it wants to be, you know, a, one, of, a, one of any number of movies in the late 90s, early 2000s, where you had this charismatic killer who's getting away with it while cops are trying to track him down. The only problem with that is that the slasher movie, you can do that with the lowest production values and the worst acting, but that other proce- police procedural, you need to step it up for that. Yeah. The acting quality in this movie is Piss poor. Yeah, and it's not helped by the fact that the audio is so is so terrible throughout most of it that it that the performances are hampered all the more because of it. I mean, honestly, for me, the biggest sin of this movie is the fact that like there's only two on screen kills, 
and only one of them's any good. You know, like like this throat slicing scene isn't awful, but it's nothing to like write home about. I mean, first off, it's two thousand. You know, how many th- uh, throat slicing scenes have we seen already by this point in movies with just as shitty budgets on yeah. just uh, on on equally low quality? You know, that were a million times better than this. You know. And uh, it just, it's, that's the biggest unforgivable sin for me is that, you know, not to bring it back to seven or anything like that, but, um, is that the deaths on screen were not like this movie could have taken it up a good couple of points in quality just by that little bit of production value. The weird thing is, is if we do mention the movie seven, and I guess this is maybe what you're referring to. That like that's an incredibly violent movie in a lot of different Absolutely. ways. Absolutely, yeah. Um, again, it, we're not expecting that level of production no. value, but you you, you got to make yourself unique, not just be. I mean, you're already working with the handicap of knowing that your production values are going to be much lower, knowing that your acting is going to be much lesser uh, quality. I mean, your writing is inevitably going to not be as good, but even though you probably think it's going to be as good, mm-hmm. um, it, it there's this movie has a lot of marks against it, so you need to make that up where you can. Hey, to their credit, there's a lot of nudity in this if that's your thing, uh, though that was a lot more of my thing in the year 2000 than it is in the year 2019. Um, not that I'm anti-nudity, Mo. I just mean that there's a lot more places you can get it. Better places. And you don't, Did and you you notice, don't have to sit Mo, through a movie to get it. Did you notice, Mo? Uh, probably not. That there was a post-credit sequence. I didn't. I didn't. I, oh, I, I was boy. so happy to turn this movie off. I have to say, it is a pretty great sequence. After the credits roll, a guy comes out uh, like to where those people just murdered the dude. He comes out and he goes, okay, we're going to kill him. Who's with me? But then he notices that he's actually either arrived late or in the wrong spot entirely. You can't really tell. And he's, he's just like, aw, and just leaves. Oh, man. That's disappointing because that's... Sounds like it's the funniest fucking joke in the entire movie. It is. Damn. Well, I'll go watch it after we're done. Will you, though? Will you really? I I might. Mo, that was The Slasher from the year 2000, directed by Jim Haggerty. Yep. Uh, I, if my memory is correct, and I can't promise that it is, I think I liked it more than I Dream of Dracula. However, I also remember really not liking I Dream of Dracula, while I just didn't like The Slasher. Yeah. But I do, I do have to say that the message, uh, which again is very much, you know, guy in their early 20s, nihilistic, you know, watch too many stupid fucking cop movies, you know, that sort of shit, where you can't really blame him for wanting to make a movie like this if you were raised on that kind of uh, cops against the system type movie, which is exactly what this wants to be. Um, It's still, how it plays out is pretty fucking bullshit. Yeah, well, the Um, the annoying thing is that, uh, is that this is, this came out in the year 2000. Okay, for twenty plus years, we had been get we had been already getting fucking goddamn brilliant quote unquote cop on the edge movies. So if this is supposed to be like a cop on the edge sort of thing, it's you know you had a lot of reference material to pull pull from, and you just didn't. It is interesting that the ending of this movie, not to give anything away for those who haven't seen it, but uh, we just, Park Chan-wook's movie, Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry? go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was going to say that Park Chan-wook's movie, Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, has a similar ending where a killer is brought to the members of the families, uh, the family members of his victims, and they are given the ability to take revenge on him. That movie is is 
uh, much better than this one in every conceivable way. Uh, yes, please. So, so go see that movie instead is what I'm really trying to Watch say. all the Vengeance movies. They're great. Mo! That was the slasher from the year 2000, as I've already mentioned. Uh, I would not recommend it. It is lengthy. I believe there is a 10th anniversary special edition DVD version. That's 45 minutes longer. <laughs> if you are a fan of the work of Jim Haggerty, I imagine that's the one to get. We, of course... Uh, we watched it because it was on the Bloody Nightmares box set. Again, this is a return to the fold for us at No Budget Nightmares, going back to the beginning, once again disappointed by what we <laughs> <laughs> What the fuck is wrong with us? Uh, is what I'm every time. Every time we go back to that box, it's like, oh, why did we do that? I mean, this show is just a series of us getting our hopes up and only to have them dashed. Speaking of which, I'm very excited for the next movie we're going to feature on No Budget Nightmares, Mo. Yeah. I actually legitimately am. This is a Patreon-requested movie. Um, I will mention the uh, the uh, who requested it when the episode itself comes out. But this is an action movie, Mo. It's been a while since we've covered an action movie here on No Budget Nightmares. True. This movie is from the year 1997, directed by Darren Ward, featuring an honest-to-God legend uh, in the, uh, the great David Warbeck. This is the movie Sudden Fury, Mo. I believe it's a British action film. Yeah, and you you showed me the trailer for it, and although the trailer just seems to be a bunch of action films with like mu- action scenes with music over it, uh, so the acting could definitely make it really fucking hard to watch. Uh, I I am optimistically excited to uh, to give this one a, a viewing. I uh, I was. Skeptical about the fact that this would actually fit into uh, the the kind of theme of this show. Uh, sometimes that does happen with some of our Patreon requests. Mm. I mean, action movies in particular, it's hard for them to be made on a micro budget, right. and and they can't and all we, be order of one. No, they can't. Though I have to say, having watched the trailer for this movie, it looks that in that kind of mold. Oh, it's yeah. an extremely violent looking action movie from 1997. Um, the, the reviews I've read of it are a little bit mixed, but they would be, as all shot on video and exactly. ultra-low-budget movies are. So I'm going to consider myself cautiously optimistic for Sudden Fury from the year 1997 to be featured on the next episode, Mo, of No Budget Nightmares. Hot dog. Mo, if people want to find out more about this fucking idiotic, dumb, shitty podcast <laughs> that we have... <laughs> way to sell it! What's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, just have them pop over to Facebook. That's the easiest way. Uh, do a search for No Budget Nightmares. We're right there. Or just go to facebook.com slash groups slash No Budget Nightmares. All one word. You, you can, of course, also go over to nobudgetpodcast.com where you can not only subscribe via iTunes or whatever you use to subscribe to podcasts, you can also sign up to our Patreon there where you'll get some uh, perks as well as the ability to, if you uh, sign up to our highest tier, to be able to choose a movie for yourself. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Support the show. Support us. Support your life. You can also follow us on Twitter at No Budget Podcast, all one word. Mo, you're also on Twitter. Yeah. Why, why don't you tell people how to get the, get to that? Well, I mean, if you want, like if you really, really need to see like my four time a year tweets, uh-huh. um, you can follow me at Drunk on VHS. You can of course find me on Twitter as well, Mo. It's at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L E Y. Mo, what else is going on in Moville? Uh, well, you know, like, as you said, I, I did recently move. Um, so I'm no longer living in a house with nine fucking people, six of which are kids. Um, uh-huh. you know, it's, 
you know, it's there's still chaos because there's a six year old here, but it's one kid versus six, so I'll I'll fucking take it honestly. Um, yeah, you know, just I, I've been I've well, I've, you know, I've I, I finally got my uh, my bedroom up to uh, a point where I'm fairly happy with it. I got some more organizing to do, but uh, everything's going pretty well. Mo, I'm just about to finish. My other podcast, Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Yeah, I can't. Sorry. I can't wait for your next podcast. Gary Busey is the fucking man. <laughs> uh, Eric Roberts is the fucking man, which you can find at ericrobertsistheman dot com. Uh, we've run for a hundred episodes. We're about to bring it to a close uh, with a very, very special episode. Um, it'll be coming pretty soon. Uh, I want to make it as perfect as I can make it before we send it out into the world. A lot of big, important announcements on that show. If uh, if you've ever wanted to check it out, this is the time because soon it will no longer exist. But of course, uh, its its older episodes will always be there to check out. Yeah, I mean, Mo- of course, of course, I don't want to happen to mention the fact that you did all these episodes and did I ever get to guest on it once? No. Yes, you did. You were a guest on Eric Roberts at the fucking. Was Man. I? Oh, yeah, I was. <laughs> oh, my God. How fucking bad is my I thought, memory? I thought it was incredibly important that you were before we were finished up. Apparently, <laughs> it wasn't as important to you. <laughs> I, oh, my God. I, my brain is so fucking broken. Yeah, I, I was on an episode. That's fucking hilarious. I will say, Mo, it was almost worth it for you to do that fuck up just for me to throw it back into your face. Yeah. That's okay. This is the next Mo meme. <laughs> Mo, have you seen any interesting movies lately? Um, you know, honestly, since the last time we talked, I've, I've seen a fucking shit ton and I just can't remember. Oh, good. I can't really remember what half of them are. Honestly, uh, today I watched the second, uh, uh, what the fuck are they called? Extraordinary beasts, whatever beasts and where to find them. You know, the sure. Yeah. Okay. The, the, the new Harry Potter movies that like aren't about Harry Potter at all. And no one likes them. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I liked, I liked the first one. Or Fantastic Beast, that's what it's called. Uh, sure. Yeah, I okay. watched, I watched the first one. It was okay. I watched this one, and I got to admit, I liked this one a lot better than the uh, than the first one. Um, what else did I? I've been watching a lot of TV lately. You know, how dare you? So like, so like, I watched. Uh, my God, my fucking brain is the worst. Uh-huh. That's uh, why you got to write these things down. Yeah, I really should. I write mean, honestly, down. I've just been playing like a metric shit ton of Monster Hunter because the new fucking DLC is coming out next month and or in September. And I, like, I got to get my skills back up because I haven't been playing that much lately. Um, but uh, what, what did I watch? I, I started watching Stranger Things season three. So I'm only like three episodes in, so I don't really have that much of a grasp on what's actually happening. Um, I watched, I watched that show bonding. That was pretty good. It was, okay. it was funny. Um, I, I'll tell you this. If you ever decide to watch it, it's on Netflix. If you ever decide to watch it, you will never sing happy birthday the same again. Um, <laughs> uh, or in the appropriate context ever again. And I don't know, just stuff, you know, like I haven't been going particularly crazy. I downloaded, um, I downloaded Seven Samurai to watch again because uh, it's literally been like 15 years since I watched it, and sure. it's my—it's literally my favorite movie. So uh, I'll—I'll I'll probably watch that this coming up weekend. But yeah, nothing—nothing nothing crazy. Well, Mo, speaking of the Seven Samurai, you can watch that on the Criterion Channel streaming network. Yeah, that's which that's, I strongly—that's fucking money. I don't have money. 
well, I mean, I can just give you my logic. Oh, well, yeah. Hey, cut that piece out. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I'm only bringing it up because I've recently started, they have a collection of Alec Guinness uh, films, which I've been working my way through because uh, I'm nothing if not an obsessive completist. When I see these collections, I want to watch all of them first. Um, So, and I've been working through it. I saw The Lavender Hill Mob for the first time, a very famous Ealing comedy, which I very much enjoyed. Cool. Uh, And then I ended up seeing a couple movies in the the, the cinema lately. I did see Midsummer, uh, Ari Aster's uh, follow-up to Hereditary. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. I know it's uh, somewhat controversial. Uh, It is quite an experience. It, it, It does have that same... Um, same intensity that Hereditary carries, where you start to be concerned about what you might see next. Mm. Like that may might be very specific to me and maybe some other people. But what I mean is, when I'm watching it, I get a little bit concerned about what I might have to put my brain through at some sure, point. Sure. Um, I, I there are parts of it that I actually found very affecting, somewhat traumatizing, to be totally honest with you. I also uh, watched that Spider-Man: Far From Home. I'm not a big superhero guy but oddly enough i watched spider-man far from home and then i watched shazam the very next oh, night i watched shazam uh, too i lo- i liked far from home i didn't love it i didn't like it as much as i think a lot of people did mm-hmm. but i thought it was fine uh but i really like shazam i thought that was terrific Sh- boy Sh- i love that character too captain marvel is one of my uh, all-time favorites yeah so i was really happy to see an adaptation of it that kind of uh captured everything that i like yeah that. i i thought that i thought that shazam was um, really inventive. Like I liked what it did. Like, cause I honestly, I was just sort of expecting like another sort of kick-ass thing or like, you know, another sure. superhero who doesn't know he's a superhero or doesn't really know how to be a superhero sort of thing. Um, but yeah, no, it worked out really well. And Mark strong as a villain is always a good choice. Um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. I liked the, 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 the end message of the film I thought was really, mm-hmm. Surprise! Yeah. Surprisingly, fucking wholesome, <laughs> you yeah. know. Um, and I'm really glad I watched it. I've been meaning to watch it for a really long time. So yeah, me too. Actually, yeah. I was, I was. It was funny because when, like I said, I love the character. I really do. And I wanted to see the movie and all the stuff leading up to it made it seem like you know this is pretty good and the reviews are pretty strong for it. But it's just one of those things where there's just so much to consume uh, that that it just. You know, I, I was always like, well, I can just check that out later. Well, I've been sick the last few days, so it was a good opportunity to sure. check it out, and I'm, I'm glad I did. I also rewatched The Silence of the Lambs for the first time in many a year, uh, and I have to say... Well, I do, oh, I, I do want to just mention real quick, and I'm sorry to cut you off yeah, on please. there, but uh, so Fawn, my girlfriend, for anybody who doesn't know, did not know, doesn't didn't know anything about Shazam. Nothing. Right. Not a damn thing. So there was this great moment where there... Um, so when he first turns into Shazam, he doesn't quite realize that he can turn out of Shazam. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and so there, the moment where he says Shazam for the first time and turns back into Billy, she freaks the fuck out. She goes, what the fuck just happened? You know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he can. I mean, like, like I didn't want to give it away because it's, a, you know, if she didn't know anything about it, I didn't want to ruin that like little fucking Amazing. chestnut. Amazing. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, he all he has to do is say the word Shazam and he changes back and forth between the, <laughs> between the things. <laughs> She's like, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry, you were saying Silence so of just- the Lambs? Yeah. Oh, I just wanted to say, just before we wrap up, I watched Silence of the Lambs for the first time in many a year, and that movie is still amazing. I mean, it really is incredible. Uh, I, I'm part it's of, no Manhunter. 
<laughs> I'm part of a project over at the the podcast called the Podcast Under the Stairs, where we're uh, going through each year of the 1990s, and I'm I'm the years I'm part of are 1991 and uh, 1993, I believe. Um, no, no, 94 is the other year. But uh, we already recorded a 91 episode, and no spoilers for those uh, who haven't checked it out because it's not out yet. Um, but I have to say, The Silence of the Lambs is so far above everything else in that year. Mm. It's it's kind of a, a crazy because, I mean, I really wanted to stretch and look for everything that could possibly be good. Sure. Um, and even when we stretch that limits of what horror could even be referred to because we talk about Naked Lunch and uh, Heroku the Goblin and all sorts of movies there. But boy, is it a great movie. And it's one that uh, I'm glad I revisited. I think I forgot. Maybe it, it eroded in my mind because it, so much of it is become part of the popular right. culture and kind of a cliche. Exactly. But boy, it, it's, it really is great. It's a movie that I wish I could see in the theaters for for I think the first time actually um, it's I think it would benefit from it but yeah so uh, a big message for this episode of No Budget Nightmares let's check out the songs of the Lambs. <laughs> big message for this little known film <laughs> big message for this episode watch anything that's not Jim Haggerty's The Slasher <laughs> and also uh, subscribe to the Criterion Channel it's worthwhile yeah. Mo okay yeah uh-huh. uh-huh that's right Mo I think we've talked well long enough yeah. <laughs> I think so. Uh, that was the slasher from the year 2000. We never have to watch it or talk about it ever Yay. again. But on the next episode of No Budget Nightmares, Sudden Fury from the year 1997. I hope you will join us to talk about another action classic. Mo, say goodnight. Good night. No, no, bad. You cannot use any of that. What's up, cock girls? This is the big time. You can't just go around talking to reporters and then expect some bullies at the police department not to, to keep your names out of the press.